Hi, everyone, and welcome to Lift Your Life. Today, my guest is none other than former England spinner, Monty Panesar. Monty, how are you doing today? Yeah, very well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on your show. No problem at all. No problem at all. It's, an, it's a real honour having you on, Monty. Um, and thank you thank for taking you. the time thank out um, to, uh, to join me on the podcast. So no, today... thank you. Thank you for inviting me on your, on your podcast. <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's a true pleasure. It's a true pleasure. Um, so predominantly, we're going to talk about mental health and sport and how you've sort of changed, changed the game, really, about coming out and, and speaking openly, especially within the Punjabi community as well, talking about mental health and, you know, that you should talk about it and being open about all of that. So we're going to talk about that uh, in a bit more detail. However, however, I like to take a trip down memory lane. So Monty, can I start off by asking you a few questions about, tell me a bit about your growing up in Luton. Yeah, like I, um, you know, cricket was introduced to me by Luton Town and Indians, which was uh, predominantly like a, like a Gujarati club, you know, Hindu Gujarati. So they're the ones who kind of brought me up into cricket, and uh, very quickly they realised I had a I had a really good talent with you know spinning the ball. And uh, I remember going to um, nets under fifteen Bedfordshire nets at Cambridge Sandy Lane, and uh, there was uh, Paul Taylor who played for Northants, and he said to me, "Why don't you try you know bowling spin?" And um, I said, "Oh, okay, I'll give it a go," and because I couldn't get it to swing because I wanted to be like Wazi Makram, that was my dream, and it's okay. always, it was okay. has been, yeah. Um, so then I yeah bowled with had really long fingers and I and I spun it and it landed on the on the sixpence and it was turning and bouncing, and that was it. That was that changed my life, you know. So he's like my messiah, Paul Taylor, because he gave me that piece of advice which kind of changed my you know my life. And after that, I never looked back because I played the next game. I played against Worcester under 15s uh, at Royal Grammar School and um, I took seven for 35. And then that was it. I came back to Paul Taylor. I said, look, he goes, just keep bowling spin. And then at the age of 16, played minor counties cricket with men. That was men's cricket. Got scouted with Northants very quickly. Um, and then I played under 19s. When I was 18, I think Gotham Gambier played for India against me. Bhatif Patel played for them. And then very quickly, you know, I, I, I kind of like, you know, played professional cricket. And, um, and then I had an option. Do I go university or do I go... Um, you know, continue with my career. And then at the time, ECB had like these um, uh, cricket centres, you know, there are six crickets and Loughborough was one of them. And Graham Dilley, you know, he's obviously, you know, rest in peace, not with us anymore, but he was, he was a big fan of mine, supported me through the hill. And he, and he kept on just pushing me through the ranks and uh, went to Loughborough, studied computing and management there. And then went to the academy um, with Rod Marsh, who was there from Australia. Um, and he said to me, he, he, he gave me very good advice. He goes, because Monty, you know, you, you, you'll catch up, you know, your fielding and your batting probably isn't as great and, you know, you're, you're not, athleticism, you know, isn't quite there. But I reckon, you know, you'll, you'll catch up later. So while everyone else is ahead of me in terms of fitness, um, but then two years later, you know, his advice was spot on. You know, I, I came back, I finished my degree. I remember Usman Afzal, who is played for North Um, you know, at the time, you know, they, they lost so many games, there's eight games to go, second half of the season. Wicket, wickets were turning and he goes why don't you give Monty a go you know he's a young guy very keen you know really loves his cricket just just loves playing loves bowling and, and, I, and I took eight in eight games I think took about 48 50 wickets that was it quickly got you know into the bit into the main limelight and it was easy for me to get into that England team because it was a successful team 
So but what even made if I had you, flaws... But, but, Monty, what made you from the very start, from the very beginning, what made you go into cricket? Were you always like a cricket fanatic? No, my dad, my dad used to play cricket and I used to go with okay. him on a Saturday and I used to score as a 10-year-old. So I used to do the scoring. Okay. And uh, he, he was an all-rounder. He used to whack the ball and be a good, you know, medium pace bowler. So yeah, cricket. Like my dad's mates were all you know around cricket and everything. So yeah, it was that's how I got into cricket. Okay, okay, okay. Um, and then, did you have that? So, the question I'm going to ask is around when you got selected for England. That must have been a massive moment, as in for for the family, for everyone. What was yeah, sort of the, was, the feeling? I, I was, yeah, I was part of the Nanaksar Gusik Temple, which is in Coventry, Falls Hill Road. So I was yeah. part of that Sangat, right? And yeah. I was very much understood voluntary work and all of that. But our teachings then and my, my Sikh friends who were around me said, look, Monty, whatever you do in life, whatever goal you reach, you need to celebrate it and celebrate it to the max. So that was already embedded in me, you know, like around my sort of my foot. My dad used to, you know, work hard, you see, but celebrate your successes. You know, don't don't ever forget that. And even my friends used to say that to me, even you know, people around my Sikh community, you know, like my like me, you know, your Sikh Punjabi. So you understand what, what, what Sangat, what I mean by that yeah, of congregation of people, you know. So I was brought up to celebrate success. Any little bit. If I got an A in a homework, celebrate it. Small thing, big thing, whatever. Have your favorite drink or have your favorite, get your mom to make your favorite food and, you know, do something, but you're always celebrating success. And that's where the celebrations came from. You know, it was my, it was my, my, you know, from, from the Nanaksar Gursik temple, you know, the, 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 the teachings around that, you know, our uh, sort of, um, you know, like, you know, uh, Baba Mia Singhji, you know, at the time, that's, that's the, where I was, you know, that's where I come from. Like they, 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 they who named me Madhusudan as well. Like people say to me, "What's your real name?" I go Madhusudan. They go, "That's a Hindu." You know, it's a, it's a Hindu name. I said, "I don't know, mate." That's what I got called. So that's what it is. So I take it at that Godwater because we know that Godwater very well because I, I just live locally. I just live in Leamington, so that's, it's it's yeah. uh, it's it's very famous, very popular. Um, yeah, and I know there's coaches and stuff that go down regularly. So you must have been part of that where you've you've ended up going there from from a young age which is fantastic um so you get to the point where you've been i mean like i said it it, it, it must be such an honor for playing for for england and did you have that sort of point where there was some of your family sort of thinking oh you're going to go and play for england and you're going to play against india or anything like that you know that whole patiala house kind of movie kind of scenario <laughs> did you have any of yeah, that no, no. Look, I, I think my parents always said, look, you, whatever goals you want in life, go and get them. We'll give you the freedom to do it. Um, as long as, you know, you bring back results, as long as we see you being successful. Um, so that was it, really. I, and, and I think my parents always were hardworking, but they were very sort of open minded. You know, they're very sort of like, you know, go and yeah, go and go, go and get your goals. You know, whatever you want in life, go and you know, go and chase your goals. We're not going to stop you that. Hmm. And they, that that freedom helped me to like really sort of then just chase my dream, you know, to play play for England. So talking about playing for England, let's talk about two thousand and six. We're talking about the India tour. We're talking about Nagpur. You seem like a very humble kind of guy. Like, yeah, it's fine. You know, I got chosen for England. It's it, it's a big big thing, um, and especially for someone from our community, from the Punjabi community, reaching that high high level. Massive respect for you for that. 
Um, so talk to me a bit about that tour. I want to know a bit more about that tour. Yeah, look, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I never thought I would play in that first test match. Um, I thought I'd be there just to, like, you know, get some experience. I signed a two-year contract with North Ants. I thought I'd get a bit, a bit more experience, go back to North Ants and improve my game further. But, um, you know, I think when I was training really hard and, and like, I remember my dad used to always say to me, he goes, whatever you do, just, you know, do it with 100%. If you're going to practice, practice 100%. If you're going to, you know, commit to like, you know, if you want to play for England, then 100% just give it all. And that's what I did at, when I was, you know, at the time when I, I trained every day, I was to just train and give my 100% in training, train really hard. And that's it. I said, I'll just give my 100% every day. I never thought it, Andrew Flintoff was going to pick me. He obviously picked me because he thought I was an attacking spinner. That we wanted someone to take wickets. And I was quite attacking as a spinner. And um, that was it, really. Um, you know, I, I, I played and then bowled to Tundalka a few balls. I was a little bit nervous. Then tried to, like, you know, see if we can get one to turn, went on with the arm. Umpire gave it out. And that was that moment. You know, that teaching that I had as a youngster from my Sangat, from my Sikh friends, from my community where we used to, you know, like, save together. It was that moment. I was like, this is my moment where I've got to celebrate it. And, you know, the teachings that I got about celebrating your successes, I was like, I'm just going to go with it now, man. And I'm just going to celebrate it and max it as much as I can because... This is a dream come true, dream come true, you know, like playing against, you know, the greatest probably cricketer ever, one of the greatest sportsmen ever in the world. And to get him out, I got, I'm celebrating effectively how great he is, to be honest. Yeah. And obviously I'm celebrating the moment, you know, what a beautiful moment I had to experience. So that's why I'm always very thankful for, for, for that um, uh, grounding that I had, you know, like I had an identity. I, I knew, you know, I was part of a, a part of a, let's say, you know, a, a, a gurdwara or or, 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 a, or a community. And they gave me really good teaching about celebrating your success. And that's where that celebration came from. Your celebrations have always been iconic. So they've always been full of passion and full of energy. I love that. Um, and I think you're, no, you're known for that, for your celebrations. It was just... And, and, uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why even my dad, when he goes 100% celebrate, that's why I'm hopefully he's happy with the celebration. I'm giving him 100% there. I think you are. I think you are. Yeah. Okie dokie. So moving on um, very quickly. So I want to go on yeah. to 2012. Um, another iconic yes. moment. Um, going over to India to win the series. Massive moment for England. Massive moment for you. Yeah, yeah, big moment. I, I um, always felt I was, I was proving myself, you know, when Swanee came onto the scene because he was a better batsman, better fielder. Um, but I was always going to be the second spinner. And then when there was a turning wicket, yeah, like I was probably at my best then. And uh, we was quite lucky then, actually, because Duncan Fletcher kind of said, oh, I want to produce a turning track. So a week before, he kind of got a Runji Trophy match on the same pitch. And it was a turning pitch. So effectively, on day one, it was like a fifth day. And then by end of the test match, I was playing like on, on, a, on an eighth or a ninth day pitch, really. And the ball was turning and bouncing. And yeah, like I bowled a real dream ball, you know, to, to Sachin in the first innings. And he looked to bowl, you know, tilt his head and play it towards mid-wicket. And I hit his off stump. It was just probably the best wicket I could have got. But it was just, again, you know, it, it, it was that, you know, for every spinner, it's like, yeah, you want to go to India and you want to win a series and bowl well. Mm. And that was that kind of my moment where I thought, you know, you know, as a spinner, you know, I, I was pleased that I was, I was able to hone my craft and, and able to be, you know, to be successful on, 
on conditions where Indian batsmen are really good against spin. So do you think that was your most iconic moment? What's your, what's your most iconic moment, do you think, in cricket? Look, I, I think the finest hour was at Cardiff with the bat. You know, I'm not known for my batting. Me and Jimmy Anderson saved a test yeah. match. And even now, that's like comes into the top 10, you know, best test matches ever in England. You know, when they, when they had their thousandth test match, it, it came in the top 10. And it was just, I didn't realise the impact it would have because following test match, they, England won. Freddie, Freddie took five wickets at Lords, the famous knee, and you know England were on momentum. But every big series is a catalyst. There's a shift in momentum. There's like a something happens, happens, and there's a shift. And that was the shift in that Cardiff, where Australians couldn't bowl us out, and Ricky Ponting was probably thinking, I don't know if my team is that good. And you know we came when he when when he when he when he picked the team at the Oval, he didn't he didn't pick an offspin and Nathan Hurrits who played at Cardiff in the first Test match because he had doubts. He goes. He didn't really bowl them out. Maybe I won't play him in, in the in a final test. And that was that was a big difference, you know, because I reckon if you played, England probably would have won that. And then maybe Australia would have won the series. So yeah. so that moment is even talked about even now. A lot of people talk about it. It's because I'm, I'm not known for my batting. I'm known for my bowling. So that's probably my finest hour in, in, in an England trip. Nice. Nice. Okay. So... I wanted to go into a bit more detail now um, about mental health and how it affected you. So we're looking at probably, is it around 2013, um, where things started to shift a little bit? Can you talk me through a bit a bit about that, please? Yeah, Mark? yeah. Look, look, the thing was, right, I think at that time, I think sportsmen have this mentality of, you know, no pain, no gain. You know, they're like, they have a high threshold on pain. Like I broke my ankle, you know, when I was supposed to go dancing on ice and I didn't even go the first week because I broke it. But I went through the pain, you know, 18 months of the pain of, you know, the mobility of it and trying to get it back again. I think sportsmen have this, you know, mentality just going through pain and they just don't moan about it. Don't, don't tell anyone and just get on with it. But that sometimes can be a weakness because mm. uh, one of, you know, like, you know, mental health issues, like loneliness is actually the breeding ground for mental health issues. So, you know, they say the loneliness of a long distance runner, the loneliness of an athlete, you know, once you're training, you're training really hard, you suddenly break off with the group because you become so good. You know, there's a sense of like, if you're in a great place, it's a great place to go. But if you're not in a good place inside, there's a strong denial. So that denial gets stronger and stronger because you hit the gym, you keep pumping weights to pump the endorphins, but underneath, there's in it, something that needs to be talked about. But I'm refusing it because I'm in denial. I'm not thinking, no, it's okay. I, I was able to lift the piano up a steady hill and I can keep doing it. But eventually what happens, that hill or that the grading gets too steep and suddenly you can't, you can't lift it and you just break down. You, you break down, you collapse. And you have two ways of dealing with it. You either flight fight or flight response so flight is you know you know hide away you're scared and you're in your room locked and it's hot and sunny outside but inside you you're just there's a huge cloud in you or there's the other way fight to response which i am i was more about i was like litting fires everywhere with everyone you know arguing yeah. this or that or you know this 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 or then you know effectively like a you know walking sort of fireball where People can see me like, oh, my God, he's on fire and he's fighting with everyone. Um, and even family and friends, man, they, they're like, look, if I now get close to Monty, 
then I'll end up burning my I'll end up burning my hands. You know, I, I can't afford to do that. So then you end up becoming really alone. You know, everything shuts off with you because no one wants to get close to you because they know that if they get close to you, they'll get burnt as well. So they only want to be around you when you cool down once the anger or the whatever's inside the building up like a volcano erupts. And you have to let that erupt yourself. And no one's there to pick it up for you. And once you let all that lava, let's say, pour out and let everything cool down, then people will come and help you and all that. But at the time when, when, when it's heat, no one wants to be near you because they don't want to get burnt themselves. And I can understand that. And that's why you, you have to, you know, get some professional advice. Go and speak to someone, you know, who, who understands this, you know, who, who understands how to, you know, calm things down. So, yeah, I went on medication, yeah. you know, uh, I was on medication during, during the ashes when uh, I put on weight, you know, but motivation wasn't quite there, wasn't quite feeling myself. So I was just like, I can't, again, that mentality of like, right, sportsman's mentality, right, kicks in. I know I'm in pain. I know my mind is confused. I can hear the white noise, but inside me, there's a core pain threshold. So I'm going to fight it without medication. But the problem, I feel there's a lot of people out there who won't do it, who won't go through the hard pain graph like I would go through because they they rather just take the medication because it shuts down all the noise. So you just numb the pain, but it's all there. Do you think it's a... What am the word I'm looking for? Do you think that it's... What was it? Was it a numerous amount of things that, that caused this? Or do you think this is something that's happened from childhood that sort of built up over a period of time where you started to suffer? What, what, what do you think? Uh, no, look, I, look I, think, I think it's on performance related. So if, I'm, if it takes me 60 balls to get one wicket, then I, every 60 balls, I'm going to get that endorphin rush, right? Okay. And that endorphin rush will increase my serotonin, everything, and I'll feel great. Suddenly, it takes me 90 balls to get one wicket. So... It takes me 180 to take two wickets. So when I've taken two wickets at 180 balls, normally in a good place, I would have taken three because 60, 120, 180, right? Yeah. That's when suddenly you don't get the endorphin, the endorphin rushes longer. The serotonin, you know, after 60 balls, what are you saying? Where's the serotonin rush? It's not happening. It's got to be another after another 30 balls. And that gets longer and longer and longer. And then suddenly you're fighting against, fighting that rather than, accepting that actually i'm doing c you know b c grade performances i'm not performing at my a a grade but it's difficult to accept because you're fighting against that right and that's why you got to talk that's why i think talking is the best thing like if someone asks me now i say when you don't feel great immediately find someone to talk to i will say to you forget the medication forget anything else do you have five people right now you can talk to if you don't feel great you can pick up the phone and have a chat and there's a lot of people out there who say no i don't then that is a clear sign that your relationships with people is not strong enough. So build on your relationships. Another thing I say to people, when you're successful in life, you're so busy and everyone says, oh, how, how is life? Yeah, I'm on the gravy train and I'm, diary is completely you know, packed. Always make time for your friends. Monday night football, you know, go somewhere where you congregate together, take them out for dinner go for a walk, do whatever every fortnight, give them a call, say, hey, mate, come over, let's watch a good T20 or whatever. Please don't forget this. Make that time for your friends so you connect like a meeting. You know, don't just think because I'm so busy in life and everything is great, 
because in a couple of years' time, once things get really tough for you, you, you want someone not to speak gonna, It's not always going to yeah. be. It's not, there's going to be times when it, when it's not going to be great. I mean, like myself, yeah, so you, with, need- with, you know, with like in getting injured and stuff like that, there, there's times when I've been at the top and feeling great, just like you've been at the top feeling great. But there's going to be times when there's low times or where you're not performing or there's things that are happening in your personal life that's affecting everything else. So you need to have that balance, don't you? And you need to make sure you you take time out to ensure that you've got people to talk to. But do you think, um, Monty, that did you feel like you, you just mentioned now to me that you um, were, was on medication during the ashes? Um, did you, were you able to sp- speak to your fellow um, teammates or people within your team? Did, do you feel like yeah, look, you could look, have got some more support or not? Or? Yeah, my doctor, my doctor, the ECB doctor knew everything, what was going on. So I had so much support there. And then I said to my doctor, I said, look, you know, I want to I want to do it without medication. And then I, I spent time in Australia after the ashes, you know, uh, in Campbelltown and, and I played some cricket there. And I had the physio there and the physio said to me, he goes, I want to, you know, we, we're going to tackle this um, without medication. And you're going to write, write a list of things to do that make you happy. So when you when your mood is a little bit down, go and do that activity just to lift your mood. And then that's how I did it. You know, I, I used to have my 10 activities. I was like, oh, I don't feel great today. Watch a funny movie. Okay, call a friend. Have I done my exercise? What's my diet like? Um, have, I done my, have I done a bit of reading? You know, nice time to do reading. Have I done my yoga stuff? And they were like my antidepressant um, tablet. That was my medication. Your coping um, mechanisms, isn't it? Yeah, it's my coping, yeah. yeah. Yeah, coping mechanism. But I had a network of people around me. I like a physio, would have coach, have teammates. So they all know, like, you know, engage my mood. Um, Sometimes I think the difficulty is, is like, what if you don't have them sort of people or, or support around you? Mm. How do you deal with it then? You know, that's a bit, sometimes I find some people, you know, they just work nine to five jobs, but, you know, they may not, they may not have the help at their company, you know, to help them through it. So where do they get help? That's what I mean. I think for, for your average Joe, like myself, like, you know, it was a case of everything come to a point where, I realized that I actually needed to seek help. And it's actually my wife that actually said to me, look, you need to, you need to seek some kind of help. And I was quite embarrassed about it. Like you were saying, mentioning about, you know, being a sportsman, you sort of block everything out, don't you? Especially with my background as a powerlifter, you know, I'm known as a powerlifter, lift weight, strong, you know, physically I'm strong. So I have that persona where I can't sort of talk about, you know, things like I'm not in a good place mentally. Um, yeah, so naturally, like even me, I'm into like, you know, I do little, I don't do as to your extreme, but yeah. going to the gym and stuff. So I'm naturally going to think, oh, he's a power lifter. He's going to be fine. Yeah. There's this, there's a natural judgment. I've already made my judgment on you, Bali. I already know that you're fine. You know, there's yeah. not many power lifters who are top of their game. Yeah. He, he's fine. So then suddenly, how did you find help then? <laughs> yeah, so 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 in the end, it was a case that I used to. I've always been the guy that'd go out and like I'm quite quite a loud personality. So like I'd organise like nights out with lads and everything. They say nobody knew, nobody had a clue, nobody had a clue what was actually going on at home. Um, and it got to the point where I was like, I didn't know what the hell was going on with me. I was just thinking, what the hell is going on with me? Why am I feeling like this? Why am I down? You know, everything's okay. I'm happy. Everything's fine. But why am I feeling like this? But it was just 
things that had happened since my injury, it was just killing me off inside. But And I was breaking down at home. And the only person that knew that I was breaking down, that I had the confidence, luckily I had that person, was my wife. And then when it become more regular, she then turned around and said, look, you need to seek help. And then even when I went to go and seek help, I went to the doctors and I took, blagged it and turned around and said, I've got an injury, my, my shoulder. And it's only because as I turned around and I mentioned this story quite a few times, as I turned around and about to walk out the door, he must have clocked either from my face that there was something else. And he turned around and he goes, uh, are you sure you're okay? And then I turned around and said, actually, no, I'm not. And then he sort of gave me the options of, you know, you've got the medication or you've got the therapy side of things. And I, I chose the, you know, the holistic side of things. I went down the therapy route and, and so on and so forth. And I came out the other end. But all the people that I sort of talk about is I, I went down that route, but that doesn't mean that I've, you know, I've had that therapy and I've moved forward and that's it now. I'm, you know, I'm a new man and I'm always going to be happy. I, I still have my moments. But now right. I know how to now I know how to cope with them. Now I know what I need to do to actually cope with it and talking and, and talking to people and being open and honest about it. Hence the reason why I've started all this to try and try and push the word out there. Because what would you what what, what are your thoughts on as in the Punjabi community, as in the Sikh community specifically, on I know there's loads of charities and stuff out there now that do some great, great work talking about mental health and so on and so forth. But let's say go back 15, 20 years ago, I don't think that support was there. So did you feel like you had that support from your community or was it a case of sometimes you might turn around to say to one of your mates, oh, do you know what? I feel a bit down. You might turn around and say, don't worry about it. Have a glassy, if you know what I mean. Yeah, look, 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 I'll be honest with you. You know, um, it was actually my, my parents I'll be honest with you. It's like my mom knew and my parents knew that something's not right with him. And there'll be even times that they would say, oh, he's he's a bit heated today. So let's not take him to the family function or, you know, to the wedding or during the summer or, you know, someone's like seek part or something like that. Because he's going to like, you know, we, we, we can't trust that he'll be all right. So then so there'll be times they'll be like, OK, yeah, I'll leave. I won't go because maybe I'm not in a great place. But they say that my mom got in touch with my mom's good friends with Lord Singh's wife. And, um, you know, I think, uh, Gamalji, you know, auntie. And my mom got in touch with her and her, her son-in-law is a, is a doctor in, uh, is a card- cardiologist at uh, London, St. Thomas's Hospital. And my mom's just casually going, she, she knew that there's something wrong, but he's not going to listen to us because he's like going to find it a bit like shameful that something's mm. wrong with him and stuff like that. So they go in a, in a gentle manner. They go, why don't you go see the doctor and just talk to him, you know, whatever's going through your mind. Because sometimes, you know, people, you know, like, you know, he's a Sikh guy, he's a doctor and, and you know, he, he can help you. And I went and I had a chat with him and he said to me in half an hour, he goes, look, something's wrong with you. You know, you're not right. And I need to, I need to, you know, you need, you need help. You know, Monty, like, listen to me, you need help. Like, I'm here to help you. And then, and then I realized, and then the journey kind of started. And then I realized, okay, I, I need to get some help. And, and, and then I started to like, get, get rid of that, you know, stop being, instead of being in, in denial, started to like, you know, talk about these kind of things. And I, I had, I had close friends around me. I had, I had a really, you know, close friend. And they even said to me that they would like sit there and listen to me, but like, Two hours just rambling on, to chit chat, chit chat, chit chat, and then afterwards they were they were like they were just like they knew that you know something wasn't right with him, but he would just keep talking away for a couple of hours. But then my friends were like, 
but that's the mechanism we're helping through it. And then, and then afterwards, even I realized I was like, I, I can't, I can't let my friends go through that where I just keep chatting away nonsense and they're there just to keep listening. I think I need to go and see a professional person and get that help and get that stuff. And, and that's when, you know, I, I kind of realized that, uh, you know, I, I wasn't shameful of it. I, I don't really care less right, what, what the community thought because, you know, it, it's just, you know what, as long as my parents are all right, I didn't really care. So I just went through the whole journey. And then I, there was times, you know, I started to learn about, you know, uh, therapy and different, different things. And then in the end, you know, once I, you know, went through the slightly medication, talking therapy and all that, I, ma I made up my mind that I'm going to use that sportsman psyche, you know, no, you know, uh, no pain, no gain, you know, whatever that white noise is, whatever that, you know, um, feeling is in the morning, you feel like crap. I'm just going to get through it, get through it, get through it. And then eventually it gets less and less and less. And then suddenly it just stops, you know, and, and, I, ha and I had that moment when I was at North Ants. I went to North Ants one season because I was 2017, I think it was. First day of the season, I sat down and I just looked around and I was like, oh my God, it's like, I'm not paranoid. You know, I, I, I feel like everything's normal. And all my, all my teammates were looking around and they're just walking by and they'll, and it was that that was that moment I realized that actually everything's fine now. Because I was a little bit paranoid and that paranoia was just gone when I sat down at North Ants, yeah. So that paranoia you mentioned, that that must I've been through that sort of that paranoia kind of things, paranoia, anxiety. It's probably the worst thing that anyone can really suffer with and go with. Um but I'm glad, so glad that you're in a good place and you're talking about it openly, and more and more people need to talk about that. Uh, around mental health as well so Monty tell us what's going on in your life now so so you've you've gone through this amazing journey um with regards to your cricket battling mental health and now I understand you are aspiring to be a sports journalist yeah that's that's what I'm trying to do so I'm studying a master's at, uh, at St Mary's University in international sports management and uh, yeah, just, you know, um, got a podcast coming out soon called Monty Meets. So yeah, just trying to get into that world now because, um, you know, I was always looking for, an, for a work environment, you know, workplace, which I feel a bit at home. And this is where I feel probably more at home. You know, I like working under pressure. You know, I, I like the, the environment being around under pressure because that's what I did when I played. So uh, meeting deadlines, being under pressure, creating stories, um, writing about things in a different way, you know, giving a, you know, a different perspective on things, having a voice, um, you know, the recent Ollie Robinson incident that happened yesterday, you know, I was on Good Morning Britain, Jeremy Vine show, Court Sports, so I, I was like, you know, people wanted to know my opinion, and then I like, you know, being the trail, trailblazer, like that's mm. what they call it, you know, um, you know, any hot topic is like, right, you know, we want to know Monty's take on this. And I like to set that trail because I think I, f I find it quite natural, you know, to to be the first person to speak about it. And uh, that's I find that, you know, um, I, I quite like that. You know, that's that's my kind of thing. <laughs> give, me, give me your thoughts on the Super League. <laughs> yeah, well, the Super League, yeah, look, the Super, look, the Super League, you know, I, I reckon the Super League will get formed at some point where they will break off and they'll pay the fines because, um, the, the, the owners are looking to make somewhere around 100 million pounds per game. You know, that's that's what it is. So they'll eventually will break off and they'll find a way of how to break off from it. 
But at, at this time, the way they went about it suddenly said, oh, we want a Super League. I think the owners just tried to test the waters. They said, let's do it this way. Let's see what the reaction is. If it gets a bit too heated, we'll all back off and then we'll do it in a different way because there's a lot of money to be made. You know, making 100 million pounds per game, you know, the, the owners are definitely going to be looking to, 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 to see if they can get that up and running. And uh, Brentford are uh, coming up to the Premiership, which I saw you were very proud about. Yeah, because I'm an intern at Brentford as well. So I'm part of the content team and I'm learning how to video edit stuff and put things together. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, I was really pleased that they, uh, you know, they, they're in the premiership. Um, uh, yeah, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be nice if I can, you know, um, be, be, you know, if it can get extended with Brentford, you know, an intern to something a bit more than that. Um, yeah, that'd be great. You know, just, just, you know, Brentford playing against Arsenal, Man City, you know, Man United. That's really exciting, you know. <laughs> that'd be that'd be awesome. Brilliant. Okay. Um, perfect. Monty, I really, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much um, for talking about everything. And again, it was quite a sensitive topic around mental health, but you've just blown it out of the water and just been so open about it. And there's there's so many more people that need to do the, exactly the same. So, Monty, an absolute pleasure of having you on my podcast. And thank you so much. And I would like to wish you all the best in the future with everything. Well, yeah, thank you very much. Thank you, you know, for everyone tuning in and listening and, and, and thank you for having me on your, on your podcast. And uh, yeah, I wish you all the best uh, with your powerlifting and uh, other, other ventures in life too. Cheers, Monty. Thank you. All the best. Cheers. Thank you, mate. Bye now. Bye.